released the week of March 1st, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 74. Perfect Rundown. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. As everyone has come to know by now this is the oldest joke in the book my name is not john sextro i'm jason tice tonight and joining me tonight are some great co-hosts who are we're gonna have a great conversation so first up is uh lee mccauley how's it going lee it's going well jason how are you i'm doing great i am it's funny at one point we thought uh, for those that don't know um this is uh going to be our 74th episode and uh, Lee and I have been trying to do this for the past few weeks. We're trying to hook up with John and stuff, and and John's been really busy. So the good news is we have another another host joining us tonight, and that is the one and only Nate Mackey. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing great, Jason. Awesome. Good well, to be here. Well, and it's great to have you here, um, Nate, too, for some of the talks we're going to talk about. And it's great to have you back on This Agile Life. You no, know, just like John, you got a lot of stuff going on. So we, we really do appreciate it when you can share your time with us and um, add your uh, ideas uh, and share those with our listeners. Well, glad to be here. I, I think uh, the podcasts have been awesome and uh, hadn't missed me that much, but it's always good to when I can be part. Yeah, so, and of course, this for, for those who don't know, we are going to roll some video tonight, so we'll have video links in the show notes if you ever want to see what this looks like on the other end on YouTube, as, oh my goodness, you got to watch it now, Lee, Lee's working on his hair, so, uh, as you know, we, we're working to raise our budget here at This Satchel Life, so next, next video we're going to have makeup and hair, and it's going to be a full-blown production, but let's talk about some Agile stuff tonight, sure. and what we want to do is... Um, and John has been doing a great job sending out some, uh, basically sending out some emails and getting some feedback via email from listeners. And so tonight we're going to do a, a listener episode where we've got some questions that have come in. And these are kind of related to some of the topics that have uh, actually been discussed indirectly lately. We interrupt this regularly scheduled episode of This Agile Life with a special announcement. See, whether you know it or not, when we were getting started recording episode 74, well, Lee had changed his audio setup. He put a little experiment on us. And so what hap- what's going to happen in the next few minutes is Lee's audio is going to get a little, a little um, you're going to hear like a jet engine in the background. And so um, what we did, we, uh, we corrected that during the recording. So um, we ask you to um, continue to enjoy this episode of This Agile Life. You'll, um, you'll hear that and we try to level it out. But then um, soon after that, we did fix the problem and the recording will resume as normal. So we thank you for your patience. And we now resume this regularly scheduled episode of This Agile Life. So our first question that came in was from Dawn V, and she asked a question about how what what should we do as coaches and just as team members to encourage people to only do the work that is on the work board or your 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 scrum board or your Kanban board. So I figure we'll get started with that. Let's see where it takes us. So Well Jason, I, I have to say that I think we should start by saying why is this a problem? Okay. Yep. So ex- uh, I think we should talk about uh, what it is that uh, that the Kanban board um, actually provides here as far as the stories go and why we we want to stay only on the stories that are on the board as opposed to going beyond that and what kind of uh, what kind of chaos that can that can uh, throw into the mix. 
Yeah, and I think this is something that teams uh, do very innocently. They they see a problem somewhere in the code or a um, a bug, you know, encounter something as they're as they're testing or as they're working through the application, and just don't see any harm in jumping in there and taking care of it. Um, you know, it's. It, they know it needs to be done at some point, and it's it's helping out the overall quality of the application, or or they're you know they've re- got some really great uh, you know uh, new library that they want to put in that's going to improve the performance or improve network traffic or whatever it is, and so they just get it in there even though it's not on the board. So yeah, so what's wrong with that? Well, I think the challenge is, is remember the work board's there to drive a it, it's there to drive a system, and so the problem is, you know, if if that work board is being used to manage expectations, and or you've made a suppose you're tracking your lead time and you've made a commitment that you know you've got some stories in the backlog and you know how long it takes you to get a story done, and then you're not going to be able to get those all done because you're kind of working off the board as we like to say, that that puts that goal at risk. Yeah, I think it also takes it takes the ability to prioritize away from your customer. If, if you are if you are sitting down and and you've got all these stories that have been prioritized by the customer and they've said here's what they we want you to do, and a developer decides to sit down and work on something else, they've basically taken that time, that opportunity that they had to work on something the customer wanted, and and taken the ability to prioritize away from them. You know, in in, in agile. The, the contract that we make is that the in in return for the developers getting to decide how things are done, the customer gets to decide what is done. And you've just denied them that ability. I would also say that uh, we have a tendency as developers to um, to jump down rabbit holes. That's that's kind of the term that we've used uh, in our pit. Is are, are we are we about to go down a rabbit hole that uh, we're not going to be able to, to get ourselves out of easily, um, or is going to sink a bunch of our time? And we think it's this great thing. Oh, we've, we've this is going to be great for the for the project. And then three days later, where we've just run over one little issue after another suddenly that thing that we thought was going to take an hour has now eaten up three days of a pair's time and it's a mess so that again it can if we if we start going too far uh, outside of the scope of the story even that's that's where it can lead us okay everyone well welcome back uh, we had a few audio issues you which you might have heard so we apologize for that but we fixed everything or so we think uh since uh Lee, do you want to fess up? Um, no, no, it wasn't my fault. Um, <laughs> I didn't have the headphones in the wrong slot. Sorry. Well, I think Lee did something interesting, which is we could talk I about. Experimented. He did an experiment, and did we have metrics and data that it wasn't going well? Oh, we found out really quick that it it ended up on the uh, the metrics that are the ongoing second by second audio levels. Yeah, it's yeah, it's called the we we were almost redlining and no one was talking, so we we stopped that experiment. But let's go back to our conversation we were having about working uh, working on the board. So, right. so, so Lee, I think you were just saying that um, it's also if you start working on things that are not on the board, it's easy to get in a rabbit hole and just spend a lot of time on something that wasn't planned at all. 
Right. This is actually an interesting side issue. I'm not sure if it's directly related to not working, uh, to working only the stuff that's on the board, but it's one of those things that I think is, I think it's related in that it's the same tendency that developers have that uh, they see something, they have the, they've been given the autonomy to, uh, to decide how to, to work uh, every issue. And so they see this thing that they think, oh, this is going to be a, a great little addition. We can we can spend an hour or two and do this thing, right? We'll have this spike, or or we'll add this one little library, as as Nate called it, and uh, and suddenly your your great idea uh, eats up a couple of days, and you and you don't even notice it. Well, I I smirked. I said a couple of days. Um, I guess something that I I have a question about is we say that. You know, if this is Dawn's challenge, um, what kind of advice could we give her? Um, something that I've seen in a few environments, and I think this is a conversation that people like Dawn need to have, is to say, why are people not not working from the board? And to see if there are impediments or a, a bottleneck that is preventing team members from putting work on the board that needs to be done. Right. Is it somehow, are there obstacles to getting things up on the board when when everybody agrees that it needs to be worked on. That's a great point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, again, common patterns that are out there in the world, you know, and again, they're kind of, these are things we don't like to talk about, but it's like, you know, the team, the, the team is not allowed to split a story with, like, during a sprint. So they, right. they commit to a sprint, they find that story in the sprint that's like, oh, it's the doozy story, it's like the oh crap story, and by policy... It's like, we want to split the story. We can't get it done. No, you're not allowed to. And then so what happens? The work gets done. It just, it's not made transparent. So so the, the, uh, another possible reason is that, um, and I have an example from recent, uh, uh, recent work, where we have this, this planning meeting at the beginning of a sprint, and the, uh, the stories are broken up in a decent way. Um, but there are because everything is essentially within this one area of the code. There's a lot of dependencies here, so um, two or three of these stories can be worked at once. But we've got more pairs than that, and so those other pairs are now going. Well, what do I do? And so they start picking out stuff that's not on the board. Um, that because in some cases, uh, the very fact that you have a sprint and you have uh, these are the stories we've um, we've said we're going to get done in this sprint, and all of those stories are essentially waiting on these other few to get done. Means that we can't really pull something that's on the board and not collide with people that are already working. So that's one other reason why that might happen. Um, the other, another possibility is there are stories that people don't want to take because they're scared of them. Um, they're not really familiar with what, what's being asked there, or they're not familiar with that piece of code. And so they are just kind of avoiding it and they'll pick any other little task that they can get out of the way and hope somebody else takes that story. So, so Lee, what do you do about that? I mean, that's, that's a, that's another real life thing. That's just, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's rampant, but it's, it's one of those little secrets that impacts many people. Right. Uh, uh, this is a it's a really tough one because um, part of part of our job a lot of times as uh, fellow team members is kind of analyzing, uh, especially as a as a coach, is analyzing the the psychological things that drive our team members. 
Um, and in a lot of cases, it's recognizing, you know what? Um, Bob over there never actually takes any of the stories that involve uh, graphic manipu- manipulation. I don't know. I'm making crap up. Um, maybe we should get Bob to pair with uh, Joe or Angie because they're really good at the at the image manipulation and it'll make them less scared of it in the future. That, I mean, that's just one thing for that particular issue. But it's also paying attention to to what's being avoided and who's avoiding it. Yeah, my comment, Lee, is that there's a, there's a great opportunity for a couple of things. For leadership by example, really. So if you're a person and you're listening to this podcast, to again, if your organization and your team is embracing the values of agility, you should be empowered to stand up and say, hey, there's a story in the backlog. I know absolutely nothing about that story. I want to work on it because that's going to enable you to learn. And if anything, I would encourage the listeners out there, if, if that's you, you know, go into your go into your team area tomorrow, look at your board, find the thing on the board that you know the least about and challenge yourself to work on it. But you're on a team. So say, hey, I want to work on this because I want to learn and then say, I need help. And that's going to start some conversations because one of the challenges we have as coaches is saying we want to help people, but sometimes you don't want to be too forceful. So it's a way to make a declaration as a team member that here's something I want to learn and create an opportunity to have a conversation with other team members that can facilitate your learning. So I would do that. As a, as a uh, part of my role recently has been uh, embedded developer coach, which is an interesting position. And um, that can work really well, Jason, but as a uh, embedded coach, you have to make sure you don't do that too often because then you end up taking all those things that nobody else wants <laughs> um, and and uh, defeating the purpose. They end up then relying on you to be the one that relieves the pressure. So going back to Don's question about how do you get people to work on things that are on the board, um, you know, what's important is remembering that um, that the the group is really trying to get these things done as a team. And if there's some way to, to motivate everybody to um, to be able to to get this stuff done, to accomplish it, to to get that sense of accomplishment of seeing the stories go go to that done column, um, whether that's, you know, kind of gamifying what you're doing or or getting people interested in the metrics and how do we get our cycle time down for when stories cross the board. That's another way to encourage that, because if if people are just getting, you know, doing things that are not on the board, getting stuff done, then then they are basically adding cycle time to what is on the board um, and it, and making those things take longer and making their ability to predict how long it will take them to get things done more difficult to do. So, you know, it's hard to get developers excited about metrics sometimes, but there's also, you know, getting the team interested in, Hey, how can we get our cycle time down? What can we do to, to make it so that we get these stories done faster and really getting, making all that work transparent and making it so that everybody sees what's getting worked on is, is a key element of that. Well, yeah, and the other thing I want to throw in there, um, since if you didn't if you didn't listen to the episode prior to this one, which is number seventy three, which was when um, John and Amos decided to have a chat, and uh, John was testing a lightning talk he gave recently in the St. Louis metropolitan area. It is um, it's January or it's February twenty fifteen right now, and uh, 
John's, the thesis of John's lightning talk was, hey, we need to get rid of all the scrum masters and BAs. And it was interesting, and I wish John was here. We will have a, we will talk about this. But what, what John really wants is he just wants everyone on the team to work together. That was what he was trying to get at. And to me, this is where, guess what? We have a board, and we should track who worked on each story through its life cycle on the board. And like put little stamps if you're using a physical board or some of some of the online tools do this, but I'm not let's not get into tools. But again, so that way you go to your retro and say, hey, like call it like a perfect five. So you got a team with five people, and your objective is that every story goes across the board and it has all five people on it. Everyone stamps it out. Maybe someone worked on it twice. And you could literally in a retro say, How many stories did we get done in this sprint that we got a perfect five on? Meaning everyone on the team looked at it and made a contribution, regardless of your role. If that makes sense for your process. I mean, in some cases, you don't necessarily have a process where every team member, or if your team is too big, every team member has a chance to get on to everyone. But having that number, at the very least, as high as you can make it, that's still a, a, a good thing to, to track. Yeah, or, or it facilitates a conversation. If we got a big team, maybe that's not realistic to have everyone, but maybe we say we have half the team or something, or maybe that's the smell, our team is too big, and that drives another conversation. I would really love, again, I want to have a chat with John and Amos because I'd love to get their feedback on, okay, I am the BA on the team, and I'm not a Java developer or a Ruby developer, but I'm the BA, and so, John, you and I are going to sit down, we're going to pair on this story, and we're just going to work it. And it doesn't matter that I don't know how to code, I'm going to learn how to code working together. I, we need more of that, and I, that's really what John was going for in his lightning talk, and I think the board is probably one of the best tools to drive that desired behavior amongst a team. So I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and say, I'm not, I would love to see that happen, but I'm going to say that I don't think that, uh, at least the non coders and non, uh, technical people that I, that I have been, uh, that I've worked with want to, to engage in that way. Um, they don't want to be part of a pair that's writing code and they don't feel comfortable with it and they're bored with it. And uh, it, they might try it, but I have never seen anybody really stick to it unless they're, what they're really wanting to do is change jobs. So my only question on that Lee is, and again, it's kind of, I don't want to rehash everything. John I'm not, is talking and I'm about. not saying, I'm not saying what, what the ideal isn't a great idea. But I'm just saying practically, I've never seen it actually occur. Well, to kind of think about that, and again, if you have to listen to the last episode, which I know I did, and I, I don't know, I know, I know Nate mentioned you had him, but um, Lee, I don't know if you have, is the, um, and none of us were on it, so this is us Monday morning quarterbacking it. What do you do if you have a BI on your team, then just like Lee described, should they be working on the board or not? So should their work also be visible on the board is that what you're asking yeah yeah and knowing that i guess there's pros and cons i mean a common pattern i've seen out there a lot is like where there's the analysis lane and like the ba and product owner kind of like work to define acceptance criteria when you pull a card into the analysis lane and then they effectively they never leave that lane so they're always working in that lane which i think can introduce some challenges uh there are ways to overcome them but I know that John and Amos in the conversation on the last episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Uh, they were saying to try to let's step, let's step beyond that and all work together agnostic of your background. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've also seen the B 
feature development board or the feature creation board where, you know, the maybe a, a UX person and the business analyst and and even developers will get together to work on, like you said, the acceptance criteria, um, the design, what the what is it going to look like, getting it through, getting all, all through all of that so that by the time it gets into the development lane, it's it's ready to go. It's got everything it needs uh, for the developers to get started with what they need to do. So I've seen that work. I've seen value to that. But I but I also understand that that does kind of keep them in their box. You know, you go work on this stuff over here. And once it comes to us, then you you get out of the way. Uh, my hope would be that there would that would initiate still a lot of conversation between the business analyst or product owner, whoever it is, and the developers as they get started. Um, my my experience has been that the developers love having that person in the in the development area because they love being able to ask them questions and show them things and bounce ideas off them. So there should be a way for them to be engaged without just, you know, very uh, formally sitting down and pairing. Although I think there are cases even where that makes sense. I think to your point, Jason, that's a cool thing to do to Lee's point. It's probably not something that they're going to do every single day, but there's, it, it would be great for them to get involved with that, that part of the process every once in a while to kind of, See how he see how it works and see how the developers think. Yeah, so I, I guess as we come to kind of closure on this topic, so is there any final advice that we can, you know, offer Dawn? It's it's like what if and not really knowing why she asked us this question. I mean, is I guess this. What do you do if you're on this team and you know you got this person who's like going ninja on us and they're working on stuff and they. They don't want to share it. I mean, let me throw one more thing in there because I know this has been another topic of contention on this podcast before, which is um, what if there is some technical work that the developers want to do? And should that be a technical story of some sort that does not provide business value, but improves the quality of the code base? Or should it just be embedded inside another story? So it's something that you just get done in the context of doing something that provides value for the user. I know, I know I've heard Amos say on this program before, you know, that he doesn't believe in technical stories and that you need to find a way to get it done within the and deliver business value. And I certainly see the point of that. But that could be a, a something like what Dawn is experiencing. If if she feels like People are going in the code and making major changes that involve, you know, adding new technology or changing the the way something works at the low level in the application. And they're doing it because they don't feel like there's another outlet for them to have that work prioritized and put on the board. Then um, maybe in that case, you do need to find a way to to get a card up for it so that it can be clear and visible to everybody that that's what's going on and how long it's taking. Yeah, and, and the simple practice there, I, I, I re- I've been recommending this a lot lately. It's, 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 uh, I seem to have run into a, 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 a series of people who play the Get Combat game, and I won't give the game away, but there, are va- there is value to doing the technical stories, or the intangible stories, as they're called in the game. Is, uh, you know, if you're on a team and you have the product owner that never lets the team do the technical stories, and I think most teams out there have, like, technical stories, because, you know, tech deck just happens. It's bad. 
you know, you need to work an arrangement to say that as a team, we get to do a certain number of those every cycle. You know, if you're doing sprints, maybe you do three or four a sprint. And and that's discussed. And if anything, that, in my opinion, should become a non-negotiable item with your product owner to say that every... You know, every sprint or every every goal we do, if we're doing a weekly goal or whatever, we get to do three or four of these and you don't have no say in it. And maybe there's some rules about how big they can be. But if anything, that helps keep people engaged. So, yeah. So in, in summary, I think that's great. And and Don needs to find out why the team is working on things that are not on the board. And if it's because they feel like they want to get technical stuff done and they're not being allowed to. You know that that's one problem that that you can address. If it's that um, they get excited about doing something, adding some feature that hasn't been prioritized, then you know you need to get everybody on board with the fact that there are roles and there are trade offs, and and uh, you you can't take away the customer's ability to prioritize. Um, and it, it if, like you said earlier, if there's some other obstruction to getting good stuff on the board to work on. Um, then you need to get at the root of what that is. And to Lee's point, if it's that the things that are up there are not interesting to people, then you need to find a way to to talk them into the the learning abil- ability that they can have by doing something that's either out of their wheelhouse or something that they may not find interesting, but work with somebody that does think it's interesting. I, I'll also add that uh, occasionally if you've got a... Um, a sprint that uh, is too long, for example, if you've got more than two week sprints or in some cases, even two week sprints uh, at towards the, the latter half of that sprint, the, uh, the team may kind of get uh, disconnected from exactly what is, was promised because other things may have come up onto the board and, and they're not sure exactly what should be worked in what order. And in that case, uh, I think that's a smell that your standups aren't really having the effect that you want them to. So some teams don't actually do their standups off of their Kanban boards and actually talk to the Kanban boards in the, uh, uh, in the standups. And that can cause that kind of an issue, kind of a disconnect with the developers and what business actually wanted done. And so sometimes that can cause some of that too. Yeah. Hey, I've turned that into a game league where I call it the points of the story game. So, like, if you're in the stand-up meeting and you're talking about something and you can't point to a story that's on the board, uh-oh, you're out. That's a problem. So that, that, There is an assumption there. The assumption is, is you have a visible board that can be touched in some way. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. So, um, well, it's funny. So, Nate did, like, even without asking, Nate did, like, a perfect rundown of kind of our key points in this conversation about Dawn's question. The, uh, the last thing that we didn't really hit on... Um, and I just wanted to throw it out there just for awareness, which is I think it's it could be related to a problem here is if people aren't working on the board, there's a key element you need to figure out. And that is, are they still working on your own project? So are they working on that team's value stream or that team's code base or have they been distracted or pulled to do something else? So something I know that a lot of a lot of teams struggle with where people maybe they're adopting agile and they may, maybe people are somewhat matrixed between different projects is like, Hey, Oh, I got pulled. I can't do my work on this board because I got to go do prod support. And one thing that I encourage, if that's your reality. And so if you're on a team and you have to stop working on work on your board, make sure you do something where you start to track that. 
Because what's really hard for a lot of teams is they don't know what their capacity is. It's like, okay, we set a goal. We think we can get 10 stories done. And then on Tuesday, we have a prod outage and three of the developers need to go support that project to recover. And all of a sudden, our capacity is lost. So you need to get that data. So I would encourage to ensure you have a system to track that. And the uh, the last thing, of course, just to throw out there before we move on, I got to plug it because he's a fan of the podcast. And actually, he wants to come back on and do another episode uh, coming up um, in the next few episodes. So sometime in early 2015 is Woody Zool. This is why we just do mob programming, right? We all sit around a table. We got one computer and we're all working together on the exact same thing. This whole problem goes away. Boom. So thank you, Woody. So let's go to another question. So our next question comes to us from Ryan R. And this this is going to be fun. This is where, uh, of all the episodes that we wished John and Amos were here, because we're going to have a great conversation here about Ryan's question. And I am sure John and Amos are going to listen to it, and they're going to want to get back in here and rehash it with us. So the question of the hour is, what can managers do to help out an Agile team? And there's a subnote here that says, looking for things other than dev slash test slash analysis. So we have to... Uh, take a guess as to what we thought that meant, or we can just talk about the topic um, as it was stated. So wh- where do we get this started? Uh, so Mr. T- CTO, Mr. CTO, oh, okay. um, so you want to field this one? So we happen to have an executive manager here. Isn't this cool? Okay. I'm going to tell you what Amos would say. The manager should get out of their way and let them do what they need to do to get the project done. End of story. Oh, this is the best episode ever. <laughs> We're going to do imitations of Amos and John for the rest of the episode. <laughs> John would say we need to fire them all. <laughs> so. Okay, so so here's my thought. I, I'm joking about Amos's response, but it's you know it's not too far off because there's a lot that a manager can do to to get in the way. There's a lot they can do to really disrupt the process by coming in and deciding, you know, and and I've been there. I, I you know I know what it's like to feel like you should be participating in some way you should be adding value to the team and it's really easy to go in and and do things to try to add value that actually just make make life more difficult for the team and make them less productive so what the main thing they need to do for the team is figure out what is what is keeping the team from going as fast as they can and what can i do about that to make it better so if there are rules that they're having to follow to, you know, to deploy their code to production that are getting in the way of, of being able to, to do continuous deployment, for example. What can I do as a manager to go clear the way to, to get some of those rules out of the way or, or to figure out how can we uh, follow the spirit of the rules without having to go through maybe quite as much process and, and stuff as teams that are, are, don't have the rigor that ours does. Um, so to me, that's the main thing that the, the manager can be doing is trying to find those those blockers that they can take out of the way. So, so Nate, I totally agree with you. I, that was that was the answer I was hoping you were going to give. Um, I, I want to add some specificity to some of that, too. For things that I've seen uh, managers do, some of them were good managers overall, some of them not so good. Um, but one of the things that I've seen managers do is not make a decision. Um, they, they want buy-in from all these other people. And so you end up with, oh, well go ask so-and-so and so-and-so or, uh, organize a meeting and present your idea or just 
something something that could be a simple decision um, ends up taking you know four or five hours. Uh, here's a great example. Recently, I had something where two developers, uh, me and uh, another guy, um, had this this thing that he was putting in a a, a change to a, a framework item, and he had this one item that I and I was doing the review. So uh, so I said, well, can you add this one other little thing? Uh, to complete this, and he said, "Well, uh, and we both thought, oh yeah, that's that makes perfect sense, but we don't actually own the, we're not the product owner here, so we need to at least go and talk to the product owner." And so the product owner comes back and says, "Well, we need to talk to so and so," and then that person who's the, we're going up the chain now. So that person then names three other people that need to do this, and it would have this is I'm talking two lines of code, um, and not even real code. It's configuration stuff, and uh, it, it turns into this, this big ordeal, um, or it could have if we hadn't cut it short, but uh, it could have ended up being this really huge thing that took hours when it would have taken all of five minutes otherwise. So that's, to me, one of the biggest things managers can do is make a decision. It's interesting because Ryan used the word manager here, and I, I, we don't know what he meant because a lot of our conversation here and what I'm thinking about, it, it's not so much managers, but it really goes to the general term leadership. And we've talked a little bit here in the past about the ideas that like Jurgen Apello proposes in the book Management 3.0 because really what, I, what I'm hearing here and what I think managers can help, and this is a, a metaphor that Jurgen talks about in the book, is to help define the boundary of basically where management get takes over and gets involved, or in this case, he refers to it as leadership. And then the boundary where the team has autonomy to do whatever the team needs to do. And really management or leadership's role is to work with the team to define that boundary. And then kind of to what kind of to what Nate said, it's only the it's only management's responsibility to help out if the problem is with is outside of the team's really boundary of autonomy. So if it's like a, the team wants to, you know, refactor their code or upgrade something and it's within this boundary of something, which isn't, isn't controlled by outside, they can do it. And leadership need not be involved. And if anything, leadership management shouldn't get involved in the team's business. If it's in the box, if it's not in the box, then just like Lee said, Leadership gets involved and takes that off the hand. And um, in Jurgen Apello actually has a game about this. He calls it delegation poker. And so it's like, okay, this is a scenario I could delegate to the team because it's in their, it's it's inside their 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 boundary of autonomy. And okay, this one's not. This one I need to work with a team or I need to consult with a team. And he's got a, cr- a list of criterion you could use to make these types of decisions. So to me, bottom line is the management should be doing things to ensure the safety of the team like this. So really the team knows when it can work autonomously and then when it should engage with management. Yeah, and, and another thing that tends to happen um, for people who are the leadership of a team is that there are, this is another thing that, that Jurgen talks about in the book, there are, there are three main areas where uh, leadership happens or needs to happen. One is in delivery. You know, someone is someone's responsible ultimately for delivery somehow. And so there's leadership involved. And maybe that's a person. Maybe it's a group of people. But but delivery is something that, that has to be led toward. Another thing is uh, how the team does what they do, how they operate and um, 
how leading a team to the point where they can operate better, they can perform better. Um, that that's a kind of leadership that you can be doing. And then then finally, there's one at an individual level of helping individuals grow um, and and accomplish their career goals. And all of those things are going on in a team all the time, where you're having to make those trade offs one for another. That you 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 choose delivery over process, or you choose. Um, you, you choose delivery over an individual's ability to to grow. And you're constantly having to make those choices and trade-offs. And the problem comes when all of those leadership roles are compressed into one person. And that one person is responsible for all three of those things, which is really easy to do. That's kind of the typical hierarchical structure. And when you get in that situation, you're forcing that person to constantly make those trade-offs themselves and make those decisions and invariably they're going to lean on delivery every single time because that's that's what they're being judged on that's what the 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 person that is you know going to to judge their performance is going to say whether they're good or bad mainly on that um and so if there's any way to break out those leadership responsibilities to a coach to uh you, you know to another part of the organization uh we have professional development in our company where we try to put a lot more of that individual growth part of it. If you can break those responsibilities out so that one person's not having to make those trade-offs, then that person's going to have an easier time of prioritizing and making their decisions. And a lot of those, that turmoil and trade-off can be brought out into conversations instead of internalized in one person's decision-making. So it's funny, what, what, I, what I thought of, Nate, as you were saying that is what I'd love to, what I'd love to challenge the managers out there to do and and so this is where if you're on a team and you have a manager like this, you, you have to go get this spot of the podcast and like play it for your manager and then tell them to, you know, send me nasty grams on Twitter if they don't agree and I will talk to them is as a manager, you need to do things to serve your team or think of think of your team as a customer. So in the last episode, John was talking to him, you know, about his lightning talk. So he did his lightning talk on him. Um, on um, you know, firing all the MBAs and project managers. Um, my lightning talk that I did also at the same event we were talking about was about job stories. And this idea of if you're a manager, ask the teams you're supporting, what job are your teams hiring you to do for them? Mm. And kind of like Nate said, because he just rattled off a whole bunch of you know things a manager needs to do. So number one, have a conversation with the people you're supporting about what you could do for them. And then if anything, I would write job stories. You could write user stories, but the job story syntax, which is more about doing a job, aligns better to this type of work. That's a personal viewpoint um, for me. Uh, I think user stories are great for development, but this type of like coaching work really works good for job stories. But if anything, write those down, work with your team, and, and play by a feature. Ask your team, hey, out of all the things we've identified here, which provide the most value to you as a team? And as a manager, you have a backlog of things you can do to support your team. And then guess what? You can go get on it and do great things to help your team. And really at that point, respect the team. Because if you have a conversation with your team on this, the team is not going to ask you to do a job that they want to do. They're only going to ask you to do the jobs that they need you to do to help them. And so it's really a way to respect the people you're working to support and lead. And, cool. it, and everyone's quiet. Oh no, because I, I got in a rage here. So. I, like yeah. I mean, what what I'm thinking about as you're saying that is that there are, um, there, there's also the job of holding the team accountable 
to their responsibilities. That that is someone's job somewhere along the line. Now, hopefully, the team is doing that for themselves. Ideally, they're holding each other accountable. But there are times when a team can get into groupthink and not realizing they're going down a, a wrong path. And that's that's the kind of time where you need a coach um, to come in and and shake them up a little bit and ask pointed questions and, yeah. and hold their feet to the fire. And hopefully that you've got someone in your organization who's doing that kind of thing. But there's also there's there are jobs that the team needs that they may not say they want <laughs> they may not want someone holding their feet to the fire but ultimately someone needs to to shake them up and so that's something else to consider yeah but like to me that's the same parallel for a manager so like if you're a developer sometimes you know the the security guys or the infosec engineers show up and they say you have to write your code this way because of our policy about security and, and you know sometimes they're valid so sometimes you have to deal with that so unfortunately in the business there probably are some things that are non-negotiable but at least at that point, you can have a conversation as a manager with the team. Yes, as a manager, I must do all your performance reviews. I'm sorry, I must do it because policy. So, and you can make it known why you're doing it and be more respectful. Mm-hmm. The The last thing that I think is important for, for um, management, and, and I've hit this one recently, and I, I kind of scratched my head because I was surprised by it. I was curious what you guys think. Is I've been working some groups, and again, it's it's a symptom of organizations that are adopting Agile that have a lot of matrixed staffing. And if anything, managers could help to get clarity on exactly who's on the team and who's not. Because I worked with people like they're like, I don't know who's on my team. Like, who can I rely on to to help get this done? And it's almost like the organization is so matrixed. It's like you could be on the team if you want to be, and the next day you're just gone because you're out doing something else, and, and there's no accountability. So. I actually told a group recently, I said, hey, if you're on a team, you know, just go back and throw a piece of paper up in your team area that says, write down the people that are on this team. Like, who's working on this board here? And I'm curious what you guys think about that. Is that is that trivial or I just have had groups that they don't know that? What do you guys think? I, I don't know. Um, I, I haven't really experienced too much of that. Otherwise, I mean, I have seen uh, where you've got people that are pulled away temporarily to do other jobs. Uh, and so your team kind of splinters periodically. Um, I haven't seen any cases where uh, you're not sure who's who's working on the team. Although, you know, now that I think about it, there was one particular place uh, to the east of us that had that quite heavily, now that I think about it. Yeah, I try to just say it to me, it was kind of like maybe as a manager, as a coach or as a team member, here are my three things that I said. And I said that maybe the activity was to write a team charter. But I said, here's what it should do. It should say, number one, as a team, who do we support? So who's our customer? Because a lot of organizations throw out that. So force yourself as a group and working with your manager to come to a consensus about who is our customer, preference really for being one. So figure that out. The number two, this goes back to product ownership 101. What is our goal? So for our one customer that we've identified, what are we trying to get done? Um, and then related to that, who's in and I, I use the term who's in and who's out. So really, who are the people that to what Nate's saying about accountability? Who are the people that are accountable for supporting this customer achieving this goal? And I guess sometimes, especially for, I guess, the three of us who are have the privilege of working in environments that are pretty far along in their adoption of Agile methods, 
for many out there, uh, we, we sometimes lose track of how those three fundamental things that we sometimes take for granted. Again, if you don't have those in place, it's really tough. So I would, I mean, that's a conversation you need to have with your team, with your leadership to say, we need these three things just to know if we're on the right course. And any time invested in them to identify those and have everyone understand them is time well spent. Yeah, we went through this great exercise on one of our teams where we were doing a, a project inception. And, uh, you know, it's the uh, write your elevator pitch for your project. And, and it forced you to really think about some things that you might not think about if otherwise, if you hadn't been, been told to do that, which is, why are we doing this? Why does anyone care? Are there, is there anything out there that is similar to what we're doing that, that we can compare to? Um, who is really our audience and why should they be excited about this thing that we're doing? And talking that through, having everybody in the room that, that's involved with the project is, is vital for that because you'll find out pretty quickly that pe- different people have different ideas about why you're doing what you're doing. And being able to get those answers is, is critical. Yeah, I really like that, Nate, because to me, the other thing that I'm thinking about, just just taking some notes on the conversation here, although I'm sure you'll give us a great rundown, is this idea of, I almost want to say, if you're the manager and you got a team you're supporting and you've helped to define that boundary of what the team's doing, you have a goal, your role is almost, I'd say, to play defense. Because in many organizations, especially in large environments, it's like, you know, there's all the other kind of people at the middle management tier who are trying to like call in favors and, hey, can I borrow that developer for three days to go hack something? And as the manager, it's just like a product owner. You have to learn to say no and say that if they try to, you know, go up the chain and, and you know, pull rank on you, the answer is no. These are my, the people on my team. They're working on this backlog to support this customer with this vision. Maybe you could borrow once or a while or again, have some criteria but you need to keep people focused on that goal. And, and if you're in a complex environment, that's a full-time job. So, um, is, is this what uh, Amos would call a shit umbrella? I, I think it might be. Um, I, I guess I, I wish for the world where we didn't have this reality. But it, I know for many people out there, just especially if you're just starting to adopt agile agile methods, it's tough because it, it's, it's a change from what people are used to in IT. Okay, so anyone got does anyone have a um uh, anyone got a rundown on this one of some of the things we talked about? I got a few. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, you, oh, I get to go, huh? Oh, yours. I mean, so for Ryan, managers should be looking to serve the team. It's this idea of servant leadership. The way you the way you phrase your question, I would say you need to look specifically about the two elements of agile leadership, and that is. The leadership of, say, a scrum master who's working within the team to help remove impediments that are in the team's way. And then really how that scrum master is interfacing with, I'm going to say, organizational management or leadership, which is thinking outside of that team's autonomy. And so whatever you could do to get to clarity about that boundary where you can work as a team to, to improve, but then also have a feedback loop to work with the organization, that's... Those are the conversations you need to have. And then, again, if you're a manager and you're working with a team, ask the team what job they would like you to do for them and then prioritize that backlog and work through, the, work through those items to really help the team grow. This week's Hottest Picks. So in our show notes here, um, uh, let's see here. Lee, I think you're up first. What do you got? Yeah, yeah so um, 
in the the current team that I'm helping with right now, we have uh, several days where a lot of people work from home, uh, which causes a little bit of a problem when trying to do pairing. However, the team came up with a really good solution for this that I don't know if we've plugged this before, but uh, there is a product called Screen Hero, which is now part of Slack. Um, that is a great screen sharing application, and it's specifically designed for pair programming in that there is actually two mouse pointers. So each person has their own, uh, their own mouse pointer, their own cursor, and, uh, and they can essentially work together just like you would if you were working on a Google Doc or something like that. By the way, Google, you, that's, the, uh, uh, that's the next thing. Uh, why don't we have an IDE for uh, for Google Docs yet? <laughs> anyway, sorry. I just uh, hope somebody at Google is listening. Okay. Anyway, that's a Screen Hero is a oh, great I'm, little I'm uh, sorry, thing there. There was a bonus one because it's part of Slack. Ah, yes. Plug Slack too, Lee. Uh, to be honest, I haven't used Slack very much. Um, <laughs> although I know that. Uh, that we have a lot of people using Slack, uh, and we may actually be moving to using Slack uh, at uh, oh, at various other places, huh? That's yes, it's yes. growing. Slack is taking over the world. Well, I'll I'll plug Slack briefly. I mean, Slack. What's great about it to me is that they took uh, what was nice about IRC, which is just its simplicity of getting people together to be able to talk to each other, and they just stripped out all the extra stuff. And made it really easy to, A, join a bunch of conversations and see what you need to catch up on. And B, be informed when new things come in that you're interested in. So um, they did a really nice job with it. It is free to use for unlimited users uh, in in any organization. Uh, You have to pay if you want to have an archive of more than 10,000 messages. And if you want to have an integration with... Um, more than a couple of things so um, those are you know that that's showing you where the value is uh, in that kind of thing but uh, it's a really nice little tool and as we do the bonus podcast here where we talk about interesting things we pick slack if you don't know their application architecture they got it right they they are a great example of showing it's really about data and the edge and you don't need a lot of stuff in between because the application is typically a mobile or a web client which is pretty thin, and then it goes right back to a data store, and that's really all they have. So yep. if you're if you're like into the Node space, and you're like if you're never d- written a Node app that want you want to see how a real thin app works, um, Slack's a pretty good example of a rather mature application that has that overall architecture. Okay, so as usual, I got a bunch of picks. I'm next on the list. Uh, so I'll, I wanted to pick a few. I wanted to mention a few things that I did mention during the podcast. Uh, first and foremost, you're going to pedal's book, Management 3.0. I, I know we've talked about it before, but if you are a new listener and you've never read Management 3.0, especially if you're either uh, a, I want to say, a project sponsor, executive leadership, or even if you're on a team in a leadership role like a scrum master and you're looking to kind of understand more about that boundary I talked about, great book to read. Has, has a, it has a, a, a companion thing called the workout that goes with it, which has a bunch of games you can use to help charter and help your team understand things. So it's called the Magic 3.0 book and then the Magic 3.0 workout. 
And also, since I talked about job, uh, the idea of job stories, uh, this idea of uh, Clayton Christensen, he's a doctor of business analysis. John would love to meet him, I'm sure. Uh, he actually has this really funny video about a milkshake where he talks about this idea of a job story and this jobs to be done. So uh, we'll put the link to that YouTube video. It's uh, it's inspiring. And if you're wondering more about this job stories thing, definitely check that out. So um, and speaking of checking things out, I uh, have the privilege of I got invited to speak at uh, Mile High Agile, which is on uh, it's on April 3rd. Friday, April 3rd, 2015. We're going to be talking about uh, gamification of performance reviews to get better uh, better feedback. So uh, come join us in Denver. So we're going to woo, get high on how to have great performance reviews. And uh, last but not least, uh, so it came out on our last episode that uh, John did a lightning talk about um, about uh, Scrum Masters and BAs. I did a lightning talk about job stories. And so one thing I'm going to plug in advance is we're going to do a This Agile Life episode where, no kidding, John and I and maybe a few others will give our real lightning talks. Not a 45-minute version of a lightning talk, which is what John and Amos did last time. We'll do the no kidding five-minute version. So um, so if you're a listener, uh, keep listening and li- uh, we'll do that in a future episode. So Nate, you can close us out. What you got this week? Well, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about Pachakacha. Um, on this and that's actually kind of a cool little thing if anybody has ever you, you saying five minute presentation reminded me of it it's a it's a presentation style where you have 20 slides and you put a timer on them so that they go for 20 seconds each and then you have to kind of practice and time your talk so that as you talk your slides change according to what you're talking about so it's a really cool thing uh, keeps the audience engaged um, it it uh, emphasizes good presentation technique, which is not having lots of words on the slide that that you're talking from, but instead using the slide to emphasize your point visually. So anyway, I'll I will plug that. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and you know, the right. best thing about that, Nate, that I'll just add is it's well defined. Unlike okay. lightning talks, where it, everyone does their own lightning talks as to what the people actually think they are. So That's the lightning right. talk is thirty minutes long. That's not lightning. <laughs> oh, and can we use slides or not use slides? That was for those that did not attend the Agile Link meeting that was held in February 2015 in St. Louis. We had a controversy about how long the lightning talks were, if we could use slides or not. And uh, well, what happens at Agile Link stays at Agile Link. If you've never been to Agile Link and you're from St. Louis, check it out. Uh, we should have a meeting probably coming up in April 2015. We meet every other month. So uh, we talk about it in the podcast all the time. So. Okay, Nate's got one more for fun, I think. Yep, one more. So um, this is a weird one, but uh, I have like totally fallen in love with Microsoft Outlook for iOS. Uh, when it when it came out, did he use the M word? I know. Oh my god! I'm gonna uh, get my Surface out over here for fun. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, they now I heard, and and I don't know enough about this, but I heard that they actually um, acquired this from someone, which would make a lot more sense. But. Um, it is an extremely well done mail app for iOS. Uh, it handles lots and lots of different um, uh, mail uh, servers that are out there. So even if you don't use Exchange, if you use Gmail or something, you could use this app. Uh, but not only that, it does cool things like it gives you a files view, which uh, in addition to letting you hook up Dropbox and and Google Drive and all of that, also just pulls out all of the... Um, all of the attachments from emails that you've recently received and puts them all on one screen. So all those times when you know somebody sent you a file and you're trying desperately to find the email where you put it that's got that file in it, you can just go to this tab and it shows you the recent ones. It has some really nice features. My favorite one, though, is that from the from the lock screen, when you get a message, which, by the way, 
it only tells you you got a message if somebody in your contacts sends it to you. Otherwise, it, it kind of just keeps it in the background, which is also a cool feature. When you get the message, you can swipe right on your notification screen and delete it or archive it, which I don't know why in the world the other mail apps haven't let you do that. But anyway, cool app. Good job, Microsoft or whoever they bought it from. Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Great. That's that's the that's the I think that might be one of the best picks ever for those of us that love to send email and set up calendar invites. <laughs> I love calendar invites. Now, now you're making me feel weird. No. So, well, guess what, everyone? That's all the time we have today. So it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Okay, we, that's the wrong show. So we won't sing that song. But we want to thank you for making an investment of your time and sharing it with your co-hosts or your hosts here on This Agile Life. We hope this was useful to you. And uh, we value your feedback. So obviously, Nate, Lee, and myself are all out there on thisagilelife.com. We're also out there on Twitter. So go ahead and tweet us if you got questions, comments. You think what we said was right. You think what we said was wrong. Well, you think what we said was wrong. Guess what? John and Lee said it, right? We'll talk about it next time. So, But we ask you to uh, keep us in mind, send us some feedback, and of course, keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.